0: Welcome to Get Better at Garbage with your host, Colin Bell, COO of Recycle Smart, Canada's fastest growing recycling technology company. We talk tech, innovation, and inside secrets with top industry experts every week. You'll find exclusive content, interviews, and commentary from the leaders in the North American recycling industry.
1: Welcome everyone to this episode of Get Better at Garbage. And today we're gonna be going backwards. We're gonna be UnBuilding with Adam Corneal, founder and CEO of UnBuilders. And I'm also joined today by our long-suffering intern, Kelly, Kelly, say hi to our listeners out there. Hello. And Kelly will be co-hosting today and I will try not to talk over her or give away all of her questions like I usually do. But first of all, welcome to the show, Adam. Appreciate you taking some time to be on with us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: Uh, and I realized I may have already butchered uh, this, but it, it is Unbuilders, right? It's not Unbuild. It's Unbuilders. Yeah. Unbuilders, yeah. All right. And that's because there's probably more than just you unbuilding these. There's many unbuilders. Um, so tell us about the background on uh, yourself. So where did you go to school and a little bit of career history prior to founding Unbuilders? Because I believe you were in the building industry before you got into the unbuilding industry.
0: That's right. Um, so... Um, I've, I've got a, uh, a long arching background, but I, I've always been sort of renovating houses with, uh, with my dad and my brothers from a young age. Um, I flipped my first house with my dad when I was in high school, so when I was about 16. Um, we flipped our first house and uh, I've been pretty, pretty much hooked on it since then. Um, I grew up wanting to be an architect and luckily I didn't get into architecture school because I'm quite happy with the <laughs> pathway that I took instead. That fork,
1: that fork went the right direction for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so I went to university, I grew up in Ontario, uh, in Ottawa and then Kingston. Um, went to university and I was framing houses in between university um, years and always involved in the construction industry since, uh, since I was a teenager. And then I started working for a custom builder and a large landlord in Calgary um, mm-hmm. after university. So that was about 10 years ago. And I moved to Vancouver in 2013 and launched a sustainable contracting company. And basically from, I became a certified passive house builder. I was building energy efficient homes um, uh, and, and renovations. And I was always deconstructing on a small scale. When we were contracting, we had a small wood shop. We would build pieces of reclaimed furniture for our clients from kind of the stuff we'd recover from their renovation or teardown. And so I knew what the value of the wood was. I knew, you know, old growth, Douglas fir that we're handling. And in 2014, we were doing a big house on uh, the west side of Vancouver. And it was like every house around us was getting demolished um, with all that beautiful old growth lumber. And for me, I was just kind of spinning in circles going, you know, why, is, why is this happening? This is insane. This is, This is not waste. It's not like, uh, you know, a different recycling stream, um, where there's no value. This is actually very valuable and we're throwing it out. Um, so we just basically took our crew off a build and went and got a a house that we could deconstruct, um, from a demo contractor I was colleagues with. And that's, that was kind of the start of unbuilders. So we did our first one for free with the wood being our payment. Uh, very quickly realized that's not a winning business model. <laughs> the, the value of the wood doesn't cover the cost to get it, uh, which a lot of people don't understand. Um, and so we, we shaped the business model over a few years and then launched on builders as its own company in 2018. Um, and we've really been evolving the service uh, very quickly since then, um, reshaping our business model, our service offering, and even our processes. Um, so
1: we, we do things quite, quite differently today than we did even three years ago. So let's talk a little bit about the business model, because you brought up an interesting point. The value of what you recover doesn't make the world turn. Um, And so there is some tax credits that make things happen, though. Can you maybe fill our listeners in on, you know, how does this kind of come together to make economic sense? Because when you think of knocking down a building, you know, you go in, you smash it up. It's pretty quick. It's, you know, the cost is what the cost is. But unbuilding, I think of, you know, this is gonna be expensive because it's gonna be manually taking apart piece by piece. But in reality, you've found a way to kind of make it work economically, or it does work economically.
0: Yeah, it does work. So our we're, we're cost competitive. Sometimes even uh, we, we save our customers uh, money from our service in the long run. Uh, and the way that that works, um, Up front, there is an added cost because we do take longer uh, or there's more labor involved. Um, We actually don't take much longer than demolition anymore. I'll get into that um, after, but we are partnered with two charities, the Reuse People and Habitat for Humanity. And so this business model, this charity donation model is something that I worked with the Reuse People on for several years. They they have been operating this way in the US for about 20 years. Um, And then formed a really strong partnership with Habitat for Humanity here locally as as Reuse didn't have a brick and mortar store. So when we deconstruct uh, a building, we take an inventory of all the items of value. So everything from the kitchen sink to the full lumber package. Um, We have that appraised by third party appraiser for the fair market value. And when we do the job, we donate the materials to our charitable partners and the homeowner receives a tax receipt for the donation. So you're donating cool. your old house and the building materials to charity and that tax receipt that you get um, it get, it gives you a tax credit and you actually save significant sums of money on your on your taxes. So the upfront costs that unbuilding may have you make that back end sum um, on your taxes. So that's been that's been the business model that we've worked under for the last three years and now because it's, you know, a little bit complicated for some people or a corporate owned building, they don't get the same benefit. We've started to adapt, um, to try to drive our costs down up front so that we're straight up cost competitive with the upper echelon of demolition. Um, gotcha. Still having having a donation package of that front end because you know, we're in the business primarily, the the reason I started on builders was to get uh, our hands on the lumber. To, to have a steady supply of reclaimed wood. Um, and so that's always been the driving force. So we don't want the, the wood to be uh, donated and then sold and redistributed by the charity. That's, that's really the driver of our business. So we're, we're now recovering that lumber ourselves and reselling it, remanufacturing with it, still donating all that front end good to the uh, charity. So there is still a tax receipt if there's any value in the finished materials of the house or building.
1: Yeah, and that is uh, really interesting to hear. Actually, yeah, Habitat Humanity in Metro Vancouver is a, RecycleSmart does their services as a, as a charitable contribution, so help manage their waste contracts. And it's a really unique organization. So interesting to hear that you guys have linked up with them. a very close connection with what you do and what they do with, with the stores. And uh, the urban lumber, when I think of it, it, like reclaimed wood in the last five years has become very trendy. So this is really a resource that you're mining out of these you know, old houses that has value. Like obviously a lot of places want to do reclaimed wood as part of interior decoration and things like that. So um, yeah, interesting how, and so that that could be ported anywhere in North America really because uh, Habitat and Reuse, they have a very large footprint. That's Uh, right. Hopefully you can take this and kind of, you know, know, replicate it across different cities because uh, they have a pretty big footprint. And if you guys have figured it out in Vancouver, then hypothetically it should work in other cities in North America.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely our goal. We we want to expand on builders beyond the Lower Mainland in the next few years. Um, and that's where the partnership, especially with Habitat for Humanity, is is really great. Um, number one, they have the infrastructure already in place. They're in 420 cities across North America. Um, exactly. so they're, they're just about everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I always say that I you know, one of my nightmares is basically a warehouse full of bathtubs, but that's what they already, they already <laughs> have in place. That's what, that's what the restore is, is built upon. Um, so we don't have to recreate that. They they already have it. And it's, it also adds an extra uh, impact layer for us because now the partnership with them, it's a win-win they get materials that they can sell. And then they use the sale of those materials, the proceeds of those sales to build affordable housing. So, in, in a sense, our service is also serving this social good of, of the construction of affordable housing through our donations. So it, it
1: really just increases our, our social impact as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not just the environmental impact, it's the social impact of what Habitat does with the, the funds that they generate. Uh, Kelly, I think you've got a few questions uh, for Adam as well.
0: Um, You kind of mentioned this already, but would you mind diving in deeper on how long it
1: takes you to unbuild those houses and whether or not all houses are able to be unbuilt?
0: For sure. Um, So I'll answer your second question first. Not every house is, uh, you know, a good candidate for unbuilding the full full structure. Um, So pretty much anything post-1975, when we switched from solid shiplap to plywood sheathing, the value of the frame dropped significantly and it makes it so it's less viable to deconstruct. You're still going to want to do that front end salvage because newer buildings have better finishes, the cabinets, the windows, flooring, et cetera, that that all might be better product. So there's still room to come in and salvage that. Uh, But then the full frame and lumber package is less valuable. And then we also transitioned away from Douglas fir timber to spruce, in the 90s. So again, the value of the lumber dropped again. Um, and then also in the 90s, we started gluing and screwing everything together, which makes it really difficult to take apart. Um, so there's there's sort of this like black zone of housing from 1975 to today and beyond today, that they're not really deconstructible for the, the, full, the full package. Um, anything before 1975 is, um, or sometime in the 70s and it's really we'll know right away when we look at a house does it have plywood versus ship lap? and that will dictate how we're going to price out the job um, when it comes to the actual service and the time it takes so we used to do everything fully by hand stripping the whole thing so we would add a few weeks to the demolition timeline um, but in the last uh, few months we've adapted to using cranes primarily and uh, at times we'll use the excavator as well so we'll bring in the excavator a few days ahead of the foundation removal. And we'll actually use that machine to help us pull the building apart. Um, and so now we're shipping big panels from the buildings offsite to our receiving yard. Um, and we're getting, we can get a house down and out the, the frame of the house in, in a matter of two days um, versus two to three weeks beforehand. Um, so we've, we've shaved off a couple weeks of our service um, just with this transition. And it's also, this has also changed the service offering because now we're shipping panels instead of individual lumber. So this is where the donation, now we're doing the donation just on that front end, not on the lumber, because there's so much work that we have to put into the lumber to get it donation ready. Um, so instead of charging the client for that, we take that on as a business. That's our cost to acquire it. Um, so it's also now driving our, our initial cost down as well.
1: That's really interesting. Um, you kind of also talked about social impact. Now, I was wondering if you could also talk about your environmental impact because I read on your website. I believe that
0: the old growth lumber contains 12 times less embodied carbon. Was it? That's that's just reclaimed lumber. Um, yeah, oh, there's, a great, hmm. there's a great study uh, out of Europe. Um, that's what that's where that reference comes from. Um, so reclaimed wood in general versus new lumber that you'd buy at the lumberyard is has 12 times less embodied carbon. So it's wood is already essentially the, the greenest building material from a raw raw material standpoint versus like concrete steel and then reclaim wood is 12 times less embodied carbon than even wood. So it's, it's literally the greenest building material on the market. Um, which again, this is why as a builder, this is where my interest has lied is how do we create a steady supply of this and how do we control that supply chain? Because that's really what, what, uh, the, the main driver to launch on builders. Um, And so environmentally beyond that, um, just looking at a single family house, um, there's about 50 tons of material on average that's generated from a demolition in a single family home. And we, we divert anywhere from 95 to 99% of that material from the landfill. So we're, we're diverting, you know, anywhere from 47 to almost 50 tons of material. Um, and so that environmental impact is massive. Um, when you're just looking at solid waste, uh, numbers across the country. Construction demolition uh, is responsible for about 37% of all of our solid waste in the in the waste stream. Um, so it's essentially the largest single contributor to our waste stream, our solid waste stream. And deconstruction is the best possible means to curb that, you know, disposal appetite that we have as Canadians. Um, and So on a national scale, if you're looking for massive environmental positive impact, um, I I can't really see any other uh, industry where there could be a bigger impact almost instantaneously than us transitioning away from demolition to deconstruction.
1: Yeah, I think overall, it's amazing how many, uh, you know, environmentally conscious people that are recycling at home and rinsing out their yoga containers and composting everything they possibly can. But then it comes to a rental project or a house build and, you know, the dumpster shows up, everything goes in and no one really thinks about it. They just, I don't, maybe people think it goes to a mythical sorting place where elves pull the wood out and make the metal happy, but it's not true in most places. I mean, some no. places do a very basic sort to pull out metal and wood, but you're right. A lot of it just ends up in landfill. Um, yeah. So let's talk about your recent uh, celebrity. And for those that don't know, uh, Adam was on the Canadian version of Dragon's Den, which is the pitch show. Uh, and yeah, it was successful. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience? It's kind of every entrepreneur's dream slash nightmare, depending on how it goes. But uh, maybe fill the, the listeners in on how your Dragon Den adventure went.
0: Yeah, luckily, luckily, I was pre- I was prepared. So it was not a nightmare. It was uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it was still very intense. Um, so it's it's really been a dream of mine as an entrepreneur for a long time. I've watched the show since the first episode. So um, this is season 15. Um, so I've been watching it for 15 years. And uh so it was, it was, you know, a a dream come true in certain, in a certain respect. Um, luckily I was very well prepared. I had, uh, a few different panels of business people grill me before beforehand. Um, so
1: you went in prepared, you'd already met the firing squad a few times.
0: Yeah. And actually my, my preparation, the, the, uh, business folks that grilled me beforehand, they were even harsher than the dragons. So, um, I was well prepared. um, I I could answer all of their hard questions, um, which they had lots. They're very savvy investors. Um, They really want to make sure that you know your your business inside and out. Um, And you know, it was it was very odd. I I went to Toronto in August, so just just a very strange year in general with COVID nineteen. So traveling uh, across the country on a plane was very bizarre feeling. And obviously I was apprehensive. My family's apprehensive about me going, but once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and then, yeah, once I got to the studio, they were, CBC was just, they were great. They were, so, it was so safe and sanitary and um, everyone was kind of confined. So it was a very different feel, I was I was told than previous years. And uh, went in, did my pitch and uh, they, they all loved it. So there's six dragons. Um and they were all very interested in the business and being an investor and being involved. And, uh, so I, I got the, the rare offering of all six of them to come in, um, and invest in us and help, help grow and, and take us to the next level. So, uh, I was really humbled and, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was a scenario that I had not played out. i played out a few different scenarios. If this happens, this is what I'll, how I'll respond. And, uh, that completely caught me off guard. So, um, you yeah. can't see it in the show per se,
1: but I was—they pretty <laughs> much sure. as soon as they offered it, I was like, "Oh, okay, let's do it." Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And Adam's being very uh, modest here because I also am a big Dragons Den fan, although I've slacked off recently. But to get all the dragons on board has probably only happened a handful of times in the history of the show. Cause often a couple of dragons will go in, but there other ones will say, you know, this isn't really my area of expertise or I don't like the business model or whatever, but to get all the dragons, I mean, that rarely happens. So kudos to you. I mean, I think not only did you do your homework, but you came in with such a compelling value proposition. Um, and the one thing I noticed from watching the, um, you know, the, show was that I think even the dragons were taken back about the amount of waste generated by demolition. And, and actually you just yeah. threw that about 50 tons of waste coming from a standard demolition. And I mean, I think that most people and maybe like, do you think the dragons were just blown away by how many tons of demolition waste going to landfill every year? Because for a lot of people, this is out of sight out of mind, right? The house disappeared. And, so, and that's, you know,
0: that like my main driver for going on the show, obviously, you know, we're, we're going for investment because we, we, we have been actively trying to raise investment um, this year to, to really hit the growth steps that we need. We got a lot of infrastructure to build primarily on the wood side of things. Um, but a big thing for me was I, I want Canadians to know how big this problem is. We're all, we all hear everything about plastic straws and plastic bags, which is a, it's a big problem. It's really disrupting our oceans. Um, but when you look at the volume of single-use plastic – versus construction demolition waste. It's a drop in the bucket. Um, And so, yeah, I really wanted to peel the bandaid off, kind of open Canadians eyes. And, you know, even doing podcasts like this, it's really important that we understand this is a massive problem. And there are solutions. We have a great solution. Demolition companies can adapt to similar solutions uh, across the country and the time is now. And I think that that's what really compelled the dragons. And, and we've had amazing feedback since then from people that saw the show, um, or people in the industry that are kind of like, thank God, like, it's about time. Um, so yeah, we really wanted to open people's eyes to this. And, you know, there's other layers of it too of the demolition world that, you know, people aren't as aware of just with hazardous materials and, and whatnot. It's, it's, it's a pretty nasty industry. And I didn't, you know, I haven't even touched on that, in, in the public's in in, in public uh, interviews or anything like that, but there's other reasons besides just the waste that we really need to get away from the traditional demolition model
1: yeah, and I think you're showing people that it can be done right it's it's yeah. not that oh this is some mythical process that if someone could only figure it out we could do it it's like no we're doing it i I think uh, you you might agree that you know maybe it's not perfect yet, but um you know you've shown that it is possible so and Kelly maybe you want to touch on kind of maybe then. That- not so glamorous parts of, uh, building a business with you, some of your questions. Mm,
0: definitely the hard hitting questions. Um, what are the key challenges that you struggled with when founding Unbuilders? So the the challenges have kind of shifted through the stage of the business. Um, the, the first, the first year or so it was basically client adoption. So people even giving this a shot, um, and giving us a shot knowing that we're a new company. So we've, you know, luckily because I was a green builder, I I had several colleagues that were also green builders. They were our clear first customers. And, you know, there's some, some builders in the Vancouver area that really took a gamble with us and uh, you know, we're really thankful that they did and and really grateful for them. We wouldn't be here today without those early adopters. Um, So first it was getting, jobs. Um, I'd say that was our challenge in the first year and a half was just getting enough work to keep our crew busy. Um, And then it shifted from cash flow. So cash flow has always been an issue. Um, You've got a big labor force that is expensive for us to pay on payroll and a lot of the time the payments from the jobs are coming weeks or months later. Um, And because we're a new company, we don't have a line of credit. There's this cash flow issue that, that has been really a big challenge uh, for, for, I mean, three years. It still is a challenge. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, a, a more recent challenge the last year has been staffing and making sure that we have enough people to do the work that we have. We, we now are really fortunate that we've turned that corner and we have a lot of work and a lot more work coming at us um but we need to make sure we have the crew that can take it on and not only just any you know not just bodies but um people that have experience uh in construction especially now that we're using heavy machinery cranes rigging experience and it's a very different skill set than say a demolition company has it's 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 high skilled labor not not uh, just general labor um, so making sure that we can continue to grow the team in that capacity as well um and then I would say just in general getting getting investment uh, has been a pretty big challenge uh, especially in 2020 you know we've been raising funds for for over a year now and people were you know everyone loves the business in theory and that's always been the case they think about it they, <laughs> they oh, love the it's idea great business they love the idea actually getting either investors to commit um, or even to get some customers to commit knowing there may be added costs or there might be slight timeline additions. um, That's been another, another challenge altogether. So yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship, especially if you're doing something different going against the grain um, there's a lot of challenges involved that most people don't hear or see. And um, you know, we still, we still have many years ahead to, to climb that mountain. We're, we're, we're very far from the summit still. Um, But we'll soak in the the, the uh, successes as they come. And uh, yeah, and we don't let the, the,
1: the hurdles get us too, too far down either. Well, I think you've touched on every, uh, you know, company's kind of three C's, right? Customers, cash, and crew. And it seems like you always have too much of one, right? Or not enough of another. So you either have no customers and, you know, lots of people standing around working or you know, too much work and not enough cash. And so it's always that yin and yang and the pull, um, yeah. which uh, is challenging for sure. And, you know, as you get bigger, it seems like sometimes those problems just get get larger. Um, but I think you're definitely getting some momentum uh, and things are pulling in the right direction. Um, let's talk quickly about that. Uh, just a little bit on policies around Reclaim Wood, because there are some things that governments, local, municipal, provincial, federal can do on a policy front that can help Businesses like yourself and also people that are looking to unbuild a building and so is there anything happening like is it is there anything in the regulatory front that's making unbuilding easier to sell
0: yeah there is so the city of Vancouver has been a champion of this in Canada. they introduced a green demolition bylaw in 2014 which mandated seventy five percent of a building had to be recycled ninety uh, percent if it had you know, heritage characteristics. And they've, they've uh, evolved that bylaw twice since then. So now pre-1910 houses in Vancouver have to be deconstructed. Um, and the city of Vancouver is looking to continue to, to um, increase that requirement. Um, so hopefully that gets extended to pre-1950 homes in the next 12 months. Um, that's certainly something that we're, we're pushing the city on. And then I've been working with several other municipalities, um, both locally and across the country um, in the last few years to look at, you know, similar, similar bylaws. And, uh, and I always link them with, with the folks at the city of Vancouver that I work with who on the policy side are are running those policies. Um, So it's, it's one of the reasons I moved from Calgary to Vancouver was the uh, greenest city action plan um, that was put in place. I knew I wanted to launch a green construction company and Vancouver was the place to do it. So um, just that policy in general is what brought me here, um, which is interesting. And so Now, the other part of it is the the salvage materials. And this is something that uh, I've been really um, pushing on the municipalities I've talked to is that if you're going to mandate deconstruction, then you also have to look at the demand side for
1: all of the reclaimed materials that businesses will be recovering. Oh, right, right. So if you can incentivize people to use these materials, so on the supply side to say, hey, if you're using reclaimed wood, there's got to be something in it, tax break, credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. So I
0: know City of Vancouver has been mulling this over. I I don't think anything's in the works, but they've been looking at like, do we, do we put in a mandatory five to ten percent of all materials in new construction have to be reclaimed or salvaged? Um, So I know it's something that they've been looking at, Um, and you know we're, we're obviously big fans of that because right now supply and demand of say reclaimed wood are somewhat in check, but as deconstruction increases, which is inevitable, the supply is going to increase, and we have to be focused on that demand issue too. The the worst thing we could do is mandate deconstruction and then just have lumber yards full of decaying lumber. And it kind of throws the whole thing up in the air.
1: This is where your nightmare of a warehouse full of bathtubs comes into play, I think so. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You're Uh, like, no, what am I gonna do with all this stuff? Um, We're gonna wrap things up in a second, but I just wanna touch on one thing that was really interesting you just mentioned. And so you mentioned earlier that anything past 1975 up into modern building where we're gluing and screwing everything together and making it out of chipboard and plywood is not really deconstructable, which is brings me back to the whole circular economy concept where right now it sounds like we're making houses that really can't be deconstructed because of the way that we're doing it, the materials we're using. Yeah. And, and you see that as kind of the next step of evolution is to say, Hey, when you build a house, you've got to think about how you're going to take this apart. And so don't glue all the plywood to the floor and use, you know, chipboard everywhere where, you know, you could use another material that's reusable and resolvable. Is that is that kind of the next yeah. the next era of, of house design is how are we gonna take this thing apart in 20, 30, 40 years?
0: 100%, um, so it's called design for disassembly. And uh, again, Europe really seems to lead the lead the charge in construction, they've seen about 10 to 15 years ahead of us um, for in a lot of categories. Um, but you see a few movements already happening in North America which are exciting. Number one, the movement towards mass timber, which mass timber is essentially Deconstructible um, with cranes because it's big, huge panels, Um, and you see a movement towards prefabrication, which also is much more conducive to design for disassembly because you're building in a factory, which means you can take the time to design it in a way that can come apart in components. Um, But that's the main driver of why I completely transitioned from a builder to an unbuilder is because I realized even these passive houses I was building were built with single-use products in a single-use manner. So Right, we're, we're building single-use housing. So you talk about single-use plastics. We're building single-use housing still today, um, 99.9% of the buildings we build. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. When, when you compare it to, you know, another major purchase, say a vehicle, you can take the, the vehicle apart. If, you're, if the window crank breaks in your, in your door of your car, you can take it apart, fix it, put it back together. If your outlet breaks in your wall, you got to smash out drywall, throw it in the garbage fix the outlet, put drywall back on there. It's just single use over single use. And um, this is definitely where construction is gonna make big waves over the next decade and and continuing on. Um, We really need to change the way that we build as well as unbuild.
1: Yeah, and changing that build will make the job for you guys a lot easier, right? Because then when you come in to take apart a building, there's been some thought already put into, okay, how are we gonna take this apart? Exactly. Hopefully makes the unbuilding process easier, which then kind of helps this whole circular wheel spin uh, a lot easier. Uh, Kelly, do you want to finish things up with our, our kicker question, the uh, mandatory one that we ask every guest on get better at garbage. Yep.
0: Our most important question. How do you like your eggs? Do you prefer them scrambled, poached, sunny side up or? Uh, well, I'm a big egg fan. So I kind of like a little bit of everything. I'd say that poached eggs, probably eggs. Benny is, definitely my, 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 probably my favorite meal. So I'll go with poached,
1: poached eggs, Benny. Okay. So then the follow-up question we asked for all the eggs, Benny respondents is, do you make your own sauce or do you use the mix? No, I make my own. Oh, sure. wow. Okay. Hardcore. That's uh, that's an art form all in itself. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, that's my one thing. My, my
1: wife is an amazing cook, um, but brunch is on me typically. Right. And getting that eggs, the the sauce rate is is kind of a hidden secret. So, Uh, well, it's been great talking to you, Adam. Really appreciate this uh, window into a part of the recycling industry that, as you mentioned, is really hidden from view, but is almost 40% of all the waste that we produce. And uh, I think that, you know, the template that you're proving out here in Vancouver, uh, hopefully some investors get on board because you've really built something with, you know, the partnership with Habitat that, could be easily replicable across North America. And uh, hopefully this gets some traction, Uh, getting the dragons on board, that's gotta be a pretty big uh, stamp on the business plan. So hopefully you get that deal closed and we look forward to seeing what you get up to in the future. So thanks very much for being on the show today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, it's my pleasure.
1: Awesome, sounds good everyone. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Get Better at Garbage. We will link to the Unbuilders website on the podcast post or you can always Google them. And we hope you will tune in next week. Kelly, what do we have on top for guests? We don't know. We're going freestyle next week. Whoever will talk to us.
0: Whoever will talk to us. Please message me back on LinkedIn. (laughs) There
1: we go. Yeah, get in touch with Kelly if you want to be our next guest. Thanks very much for tuning in. And we will talk to you again next week.
0: Well, that's a wrap for this week. Remember, you can recycle past episodes at www.recycle-smart.com slash podcast and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us and remember to get better at garbage, rock the recycling, and save some
1: serious dough.